Mike Tyson is back in training. In a recent interview with the rapper T.I., he said that he's considering having some exhibition bouts for charity. Now, many of you will have heard Mike Tyson over the past couple years say that he doesn't do any boxing training at all anymore. He said that on numerous occasions. And his reason for this is that he says once he gets into training mode, he starts to feel like his old self. And in his own words, again, I'm paraphrasing his old self when he was a young man fighting, he was a megalomaniac. George Foreman used to say something similar about how he felt when he got below a certain weight. Because George Foreman came back 10 years after he retired when he lost to Jimmy Young. Retired for 10 years, came back, and he was a lot heavier. And the boxing press said, George, why don't you get back down somewhere close to your old fighting weight, like you were in the 70s? And George said, no, nah, as soon as I start getting close to that weight, I start feeling the same as I did when I was a young guy. And I don't want to be that guy anymore. So what we're talking about there is body chemistry, brain chemistry. When you actually lose fat, and look, not everybody's the same, but I have certainly experienced this throughout my life, is when I start getting in shape and all the fat comes off, start getting shredded, I feel different. My testosterone levels are higher. I feel more aggressive. I feel more hyperactive. I talk louder. And for some people, this can be extreme. And Mike Tyson's one of those people. So this is the reason why he hasn't been doing any boxing training for a long time. But under the current situation, where Tyson is mainly confined to the house over the past however many weeks now, I think that that is how the boxing bug has got back in him. Because Mike Tyson is a guy who's always had a lot going on in his life. From when he was a young kid, having to battle bullies and stuff like that in Brooklyn. He was born in bed and later on moved to Brownsville. And he had a real rough time in Brownsville. Eventually turned into a criminal himself. And again, his life was chaotic. Running around, committing crimes, getting arrested going to prison, all this kind of stuff. Then, of course, meeting Bobby Stewart in the uh, Tryon School for Boys, being introduced to Costa Mato, being trained with Teddy Atlas, and even up there in the Catskills, Mike Tyson's life was still very, very chaotic and always very busy. That's how his life was. Then, of course, he had success as an amateur, went on to become youngest heavyweight champion of the world and the fame and fortune that came with that. And that's where it really turned into a roller coaster ride. Everybody wanted a piece of Mike Tyson. And even when he went into prison, he didn't have the experience of a normal prisoner. He was a celebrity prisoner. He had certain privileges in prison, which other prisoners didn't have, or not many prisoners, uh, not many other prisoners had. I won't get into those. If you've read Mike Tyson's book, you know what I'm talking about or heard some of his interviews. And obviously, after his boxing career was over, he then went into movies, entertainment. Eventually, he started doing his own uh, show, 
stage show. He started doing public speaking engagements. And now, of course, he's got his podcast. So he's always had a very active life in terms of you know social life and what have you. But all of a sudden, it comes to a juddering halt under the current situation we're experiencing in the world. And again, I think that's why Mike Tyson has started to get itchy feet. He needs to channel his energy if he can't go out there and do the usual things that he does because of the current situation. He has to channel his energy somehow. And therefore, he started channeling it into training. That's how he's gotten over the boredom and, you know, what have you. Now, the isolation won't bother somebody like Mike Tyson or let me not say it won't bother him. I'm sure it bothers him, but he will be able to cope better than a lot of people because, of course, he's been in the penitentiary many, many times. Um, you know, obviously, as a young youngster, he was in juvenile prisons and stuff like that. And as an adult, he's been to the penitentiary a couple of times. So, you know, he'll be able to cope. He'll have certain coping mechanisms and I think that's to throw himself into his training because that's what he did in the penitentiary he threw himself into training when Mike Tyson came out of prison in 1995 that is the most ripped and shredded he ever was at any other time in his adult life you look at Mike Tyson when he fought Peter McNeely he was absolutely chiseled <laughs> you know and Tyson was always a guy who was in shape but he was really chiseled then so, uh, you know, that's, that's his coping mechanism. And some people can just sit around and pontificate and philosophize and all that kind of stuff. You know, like those Chinese, uh, you know, you see in them Chinese movies, those hermits who live up in the mountain and they don't have visitors for like years and years. And they're just perfecting their soul and stuff like that. <laughs> living extremely long lives. They're very introspective people, very spiritual people. A lot of, probably most people I would say, are not very introspective. And people who are not introspective are actually afraid of their own subconscious. Like for example, there are certain people, as soon as they wake up in the morning, if they're in the house alone, they have to put music on. They have to put a radio on. They have to call somebody. They can't be alone, even for a whole day, in silence. There has to be some noise. And the reason they're doing this is because they're trying to distract from what's going on inside their own heads. A lot of people are like this. Right? People you know personally are going to be, maybe some of you listening to this right now are like this. Um, so a lot of people are afraid of what's in their own heads. And they'll do anything to distract from thinking inwardly, you know, being introspective. So whatever the coping mechanism people have, Mike Tyson's coping mechanism is uh, to throw himself into his training. And he was obviously very successful with that. So we're seeing it again here. Will that result in Mike Tyson going off the rails again? I hope not, particularly at his age. But you can expect Mike Tyson to have a very different demeanor the next time you see him. He won't be this chilled Mike who's giggling and talking about toads and all this kind of business. Some of the old Mike is going to be back when you see him next time. Mike Tyson is, and that's if he continues this training, Mike Tyson is in his 50s 
And so when I heard this story about him being open to doing exhibition bouts for charity, I thought about John Fury, Tyson Fury's dad, because he has proclaimed himself to be the best 50-odd-year-old man in the world. Okay? As in the best at fighting. This is what he said out of his own mouth. Well, and he's talked about how he would like to fight and stuff like this, and he's apparently fighting some guy who was a bouncer and a friend of Lenny McLean's and all this kind of business for charity. Well, if he really wants a challenge, Mike Tyson is there for him. And I'm serious because John Fury called out Lennox Lewis a couple years back. And he said he would fight Lennox Lewis in a heartbeat, you know, no holds barred and all this kind of business. Well, Mike Tyson is right there. He's a 50 something year old man. So Mike Tyson versus John Fury, anyone? Look, I'm not saying that that's a fight that, we should be pushing for, but since John Fury is itching for some competition and believes himself to be the best guy of his age group in the world, then there you go. <laughs> the guy you named your son after, Mike Tyson, he's coming back. Because we're real men, hard men, proper men, what's been brought up the hard way, fetched up with nothing, nothing given to us, didn't want nothing from them, did 15 year jail for a fight. One thing I do have to mention is that Jeff Fennick, who trained Mike Tyson at the very, very end of his career, recently said that if Mike Tyson, if he had Mike Tyson and trained him for something like six or seven weeks, he could knock out Deontay Wilder in one round. Now, Fennick is a very enthusiastic individual, always was Jeff Fennick. And no disrespect to the guy, but I always felt like he was a little silly with this, the kind of stuff that he, he used to say and what have you. Always felt like he was a bit, you know, somebody who is impulsive and emotional and stuff like that. And for him to say that he could knock Wilder out in a round, maybe that's a get-rich-quick scheme for Jeff Fennick and Mike Tyson. I don't know. I mean, Mike Tyson should still have a decent amount of money. Jeff Fennick, I don't know what happened to his... Uh, prize money from his fighting days, but maybe it's just a way for them to get some money together. You know, how ambitious could Mike Tyson be at this particular age? What is he, 55, 56 or something like that? Um, he would almost certainly never get licensed to face a Deontay Wilder. From what I've seen online, there isn't that many Mike Tyson fans saying that, yeah, he could beat Wilder right now. Uh, there might be a few out there, but not many. Because most Mike Tyson fans will understand that the last time Tyson fought, however many years ago it was, what was it, 15 years ago or something? The last time Mike Tyson fought, he got stopped by Kevin McBride. So if you got stopped by Kevin McBride 15 years ago, you're not going to beat Deontay Wilder now. That's just not happening. And prior to getting stopped by McBride, of course, he was stopped by Danny Williams. So yeah, 15 years ago, you stopped by McBride. You come back at the age of 55, 56 to fight Wilder. Yeah, you're definitely not knocking him out in one round. <laughs> That's not happening in a million years. Mike Tyson, athletically, was always very gifted. The hand speed, the punching power, the hand-eye coordination, all that kind of stuff. Um, the balance etc. He threw punches with very, very good form. 
he'll still have some semblance of that. So if Mike Tyson gets in shape right now, starts hitting pads in the bag, it may look a bit impressive, okay? But there's a very, very big difference between hitting a bag and hitting pads and getting in there and actually having a fight. Because when you get in there and have a fight, that's when reflexes come into play. That's when you have to be able to anticipate what your opponent is doing, react, which means either getting out of the way or throwing a punch to counter. Yeah, or seeing an opening and beating the opponent to the punch. This is where reflexes come into play. And when you are as old as Mike Tyson is in his mid-50s, the reflexes are just not the same. So coming back and doing exhibitions, I think against people of his age uh, range or people who are maybe journeymen that are not very good. Because look, if you put Mike Tyson in there right now against a tough, active journeyman, there's a good chance he's going to lose. A very good chance. In fact, he probably will lose. <laughs> Mike Tyson knows uh, how difficult it is to get himself into the kind of condition needed to be competitive against anybody but a complete cream puff. He knows. I mean, I remember interviews of Mike Tyson back in the days where he said, I'm either as good as the best of them or as bad as the worst. On my best day, I could beat anybody in history. On my worst day, you could beat me. And he was talking to the interviewer, the guy interviewing him. Mike Tyson's an all or nothing kind of guy. And when he goes for it, I mean, he's been talking about some of the training that he's been doing uh, over the past few weeks. And it sounds like the kind of training which people 10, 15, 20 years younger would struggle to do. A lot of people, and I'm not talking about athletes. Athletes are going to be able to do it. You know, I mean, I'm including professional boxers and that, but just the average Joe, uh, <laughs> they would struggle to do the kind of things that Mike Tyson says he's doing right now at the age of, you know, 50 odd. So he's still going to have a certain level of physicality about him, but exhibition bouts, hmm, I mean, would they be competitive bouts, you know, or would it just be literally him messing around in the ring with one of his former sparring partners. He used to have a sparring partner called uh, Nate Tubbs, who was a real big guy. And he had another sparring partner called Corey Sanders, not the South African Corey Sanders. This was an American Corey Sanders. And his name was spelt uh, Corey, actually. C-O-R-E-Y, rather than Corey, as in Corey Sanders from South Africa, which was uh, C-O-R-R-I-E. But they were real big guys who weren't very good. They were almost like giant heavy bags for Mike Tyson. In fact, he fought an exhibition with, I think, was it Nate Tubbs? He had that exhibition with. Will I watch Mike Tyson in an exhibition bout? Yeah, I'll probably watch because I was always uh, a big fan of Mike Tyson, the fighter. You know, I, I loved watching him. I thought he was the most exciting heavyweight in history. His style and the fact that with Mike Tyson fights, there was no feeling out process. He would just go straight for the jugular from the opening bell. And that's what people want at the end of the day. You know, when you're talking to casuals, people who don't normally watch boxing, they tend to get very, very restless, a lot of them, when there's nothing going on in a fight early doors, when the feeling out process is taking place. They get very, very restless about that. They want to see people swinging from the opening bell. And that's what Mike Tyson used to bring. That's why Mike Tyson has probably more 
casual fans in his fan base than maybe any other boxer in history because of the fact that the casuals want a guy who's just going to rush out and throw bombs immediately. <laughs> They're not into all the trickery and messing about. You see, the casuals may not understand. Some of them think they're boxing scientists, but the, the average Mike Tyson casual, when they watch him fight, they don't really see the science behind what he's doing, at least not at first. They just see a guy rushing out there, hitting people. Um, they don't really understand the technique, the timing, the, the drills that Mike Tyson had to go through to be able to fight like that. And also not realizing how calm Mike Tyson is when he fights and how elusive he was on the front foot. Because Tyson wasn't a guy. See, I've seen over the years a lot of fighters, a lot of young kids in the gym, professionals, even amateurs, who clearly are massively influenced by Mike Tyson. And when they go in the ring, it's almost like they're in a rage, you know, and they're, 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 their head's all over the place and they're trying to destroy the opponent. Mike Tyson was very calm when he was fighting. That's what you don't understand. You, you, you think he's in a rage because you look at his highlight clips uh, where he's throwing these incredible combinations, but Mike Tyson was calm in the ring. Yeah, and he'll tell you that himself. I mean, an example of what I'm talking about is like James Wilson. Whenever I see James Wilson calls himself the beast, hitting the pads, he's throwing everything into every punch. There's no smoothness to it. There's no grace to it. He's not calm. His mind is in a frenzy when he's throwing these combinations on the pads and hitting the bag. Mike Tyson would control his aggression. So for the most part, when he's in the ring, he's very, very calm. And then he's able to explode fast with fast combinations. And then he brings himself back down calm again for the next move. Yeah, if, if it didn't get the desired effect, he brings himself back down calm again, moves his head, stays calm. He's very focused. This is how Mike Tyson was. He wasn't this guy who was just in a mad frenzy. <laughs> it looked frenzied at times because of the fact that Mike Tyson was so fast. Naturally, he was a fast guy. So if he's throwing his punches and moving his head three, four times faster than the other guy, it can look as though he's in a rage. But for the most part, he actually wasn't in a rage. The times when Mike Tyson was in a rage in the ring are in fights where he ended up either losing or being close to losing. Like in the Holyfield rematch, the Francois Bolter fight, for example. Those are instances where Mike Tyson was in a rage. You could say the Lou Savarese fight, but Mike Tyson was actually... Uh, he was actually... Uh, how can I put this without YouTube and their algorithm demonetizing. But he was actually on something. Mike Tyson admitted to being on something in the Lou Savarese fight. And I'm talking about something recreational. He was on. And he managed to evade being caught for that by using a certain device. And he's spoken about this publicly. This is no rumor or anything like that. He's spoken about this in interviews. He used a certain device to evade being uh, caught for being on something, a, a recreational substance which makes you hyper in the Lou Savarese fight and there may have been other fights as well where Mike Tyson was on the very very same thing but yeah those are my thoughts my musings on Mike Tyson considering coming back to have some exhibition bouts I'd like to hear from you guys in terms of whether you think it's a good idea whether you think he'll 
start going off the rails again? When he feels like his old self? Will he start having the megalomania creep up on him once more? And who would you like to see him fight? Look, some people will be happy to see Mike Tyson back in the ring, even at 50 odd years of, of age. Uh, but who would be his exhibition opponent? John Fury? <laughs> would it be one of his old opponents from back in the days? One of his old sparring partners? Will it be a journeyman who's still hanging around at the moment? Let me know, people. It's time and I'm out. Join me on Patreon. I upload a minimum of two podcasts every single week, covering a wide variety of controversial topics, as well as live stream Q&A sessions. Take a look on screen right now at some of the podcasts I've produced so far. For just $3 a month, the equivalent of about £2 a month, you get access to all my new podcasts and my entire back catalogue of past podcasts, including my popular Confessions of a Nightclub Bouncer series. You can listen on your computer or on your smartphone or tablet by downloading the Patreon app from the Google Play Store or the App Store for free. The Patreon app also allows you to download each podcast in MP3. For less than the price of a cup of coffee, you get access to dozens of hours of exclusive content. It's easy to sign up, there's no contract, and you can cancel at any time. So come and join our community of free and critical thinkers by signing up with me here on Patreon today. Yeah. I'm in the basement hitting these weights right now doing some cardio. What's up, man? How you keeping, Joe? What's going on, brother? What's going on? World from under. <laughs> so, Gerald, can you hear me? Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. So, were you scheduled to have a fight before this pandemic happened? Yeah, I was supposed to be in the Tyson Fury Wilder undercard, but Demetrius Leader fucked that up. You were meant to be on the card in, in Vegas in February. Correct. Okay. Yeah, correct, correct. And that douchebag, of course, him always snipping his nose in the shit. Messed that up. So, you know, we was looking at May 30th, Lemachenko undercard. Ah. You know, then the pandemic happened, so we're kind of back to square one again, you know? Why the decision to, to sign with top rank, Gerald? Um, after just talking to everybody and hearing what everybody got to say, um, you know, Bob reached out plenty of times. And it wasn't really Bob himself, it was people on his team. And I wasn't too enthusiastic about it. Plus, you were still talking to Eddie Hearn and some some is some extent, but um, when I finally got face to face with Bob, and Bob actually came up with a game plan, like you know, this is what we know. We know about your situation. We know it's a mistake. Da da da. You know, we talked to doctors here and there, and after they even seen my levels, they knew that it wasn't something that I was doing ever. Cause you can tell by level. So I'm trying to say so. It just made more sense. You know, he had actual actual game plan and strategy. So I ran with it. 
You know what I mean? It made sense paper-wise, money-wise. And I was like, fuck it, let's go. And I knew Tyson Fury was going to beat Deontay. It was like 80% of my gut. I'm like, yo, he's going to beat fucking Deontay. Just the way he talks, his demeanor, and it was one of those things, you know? Daryl, is the anti-Joshua fight still a fight that you want? Oh, yeah. Of course, man. Gotta, listen, man, you got to put it like this. A lot of people who are afraid of certain things are going to run away from it. I got to redeem myself in the public eye. But I know I'm honest. I'm deep, deep honest in my heart. I know what, I know what happened. I know what went wrong. But once I whoop his ass, all that everybody doing is going to shut the fuck up. Especially Eddie Hearn. I want him to eat his words so bad. You know what I mean? Want to eat his words so bad, so I'm not gonna sit here and go blah 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 24 7. Fuck that, just put me in the ring, you know what I mean? I passed the test before, I'm gonna pass it again. So I'm trying to say, plain and simple, brother. How realistic is it though? Do you not think that that chance with Joshua could have now gone? Do you think that there will be another opportunity for you to fight him? Almost definitely, because you gotta think about it after this Deontay Wilder Fury third fight is gonna happen, we're talking about co main event on that card. Right from a top rank. Boom. Who's Tyson gonna fight next? So I'm trying to say how many how many bullshit opponents is the UK fans gonna take from AJ? And so I'm trying to say nobody knows about Pulev. Pulev is a good opponent, but it all depends. So I'm trying to say so like I said, I ain't gonna I ain't even gonna talk too much. Proof is in the pudding. The proof is in the pudding. They remember you all gonna have bad guys, we're gonna have superheroes. You always wanna see the superhero go against a good villain. So fuck it, I'll be the villain. <laughs> Are you about to start training now? No, I've been training. Are you been finished training. training? Yeah, I've been training. Just... Are you in Brooklyn? No, no, I'm actually at my, on my ranch in Jersey. Okay. Yeah, 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 I'm in Jersey, man. I'm chilling, man. Just get away from the New York crap, man. A lot of shit in New York going on, so... A lot of my friends dying out there, man, so... It's been rough, you know? Trying to help people pay for funerals and shit, man. I'm just... It's bad, man. It's bad. But I know I know I got a couple friends and stuff in the UK, man, and I know they're gonna do it too, you know. Um seeing a couple of comments from Billy Joe Saunders there. Um Billy Joe I don't know. Billy Joe was on here a minute ago, but he's I don't know if he's still watching or not. Um all right, well Gerald, thanks for logging on tonight. Man, no doubt, man. I'm doing my cardio. I like, I, I like the needle. I like the needle emoji. That just made me laugh. I like that shit. Juice, man. Juice, man. Yeah, that's me. Yeah. That... <laughs> Listen, man. I'm from Brooklyn, baby. Ain't nothing the motherfuckers gonna say to me that can hurt my feelings. Trust me. Ain't nothing them been through what I've been through. That's light work. Believe that. <laughs> Believe that, man. I think Billy Joe's back on. He's calling you fat, Gerald. God, fuck Billy Joe. Send an intake is girl. Little, little prick motherfucker. He ain't even came to Brooklyn before. He's been hiding than you. Anytime you talk shit about fire, he never comes in their neighborhood. Come from the Brooklyn one of these days. I show him around. Oh, wonderful comments here. Um. <laughs> Come on, baby. Come on, baby. Big baby's uh, is bringing the fireworks. Bad or good, they tune in, Cooper. Bad or good, they gonna tune in, brother. Uh, thanks for giving us your time tonight, and uh, yeah, keep yourself safe, and we'll speak soon. Yeah. Take care. Thanks, Gerald Miller.
David Hay, in a recent interview, said that he would only consider a comeback against the winner of Anthony Joshua versus Tyson Fury for the undisputed fight. Now, he says that after a prolonged rest, his injuries have all healed up. He's not training intensely anymore. But yes, when you do get a rest and your body heals up, you start to believe again. Because as I've mentioned many, many times, the mind of a top-level professional fighter is not like the mind of the average civilian. It's not like the mind of the average boxing fan. It's very, very different. You have to have unnatural levels. Let me not say unnatural, but you have to have unusual levels of self-belief. And that is tied into ego. So somebody like David Hay has a much bigger ego, a much higher opinion of himself than the average Joe. And the self-belief that is required to reach the top in boxing, particularly when you're somebody like David Hay, who, when he first started boxing, he wasn't the most naturally talented guy who ever stepped in the gym. He was all arms and legs. That's the way Mick Carney, who you know is now part, passed away many, many years ago, Mick Carney, but he even said that when David Hay first came in the gym, he was all arms and legs as a young kid, and he wasn't a standout talent immediately. And David Hay, very, very early on, from when he was a young child, said that he would be heavyweight champion of the world, but he really wasn't a natural heavyweight. He had a lot of his amateur bouts as a teenager as a light heavyweight. And he started doing weights even then to try and bulk up to get up to uh, the 91 kilogram class, which is heavyweight. And that would later become cruiserweight as a professional. In fact, when he first turned professional, the old cruiserweight limit was, God, what was it? 13 stone? Was it 13 stone eight or something or nine? I can't remember the, the old cruiserweight limit. But while David Hay was professional, I think it was before he fought Carl Thompson, that's when they changed the cruiserweight limit to 200 pounds. But yeah, even then, Hay was having to do weights to get himself up to weight. So he's always been a guy who won't allow even his own body to tell him no, much less other people. When he's determined to do something, he'll do it. And so that takes a tremendous amount of self-belief, self-confidence, ego, etc. And so David Hayes' achievements in his career have been achieved through listening to himself. You know, ultimately, I know he's had trainers and Adam Booth has been with him and what have you, but ultimately it's been a journey of David Hay believing in himself, listening to himself and getting to where he is right now. Uh, you know, being successful and former world champion, all that kind of stuff, rich man. But that level of self-belief never really leaves you. <laughs> and again, after the long rest, where his body is feeling all healed up and stuff like that, those thoughts start to creep in. Maybe I could give it one more go. Maybe that Tony Bellew or those Tony Bellew fights weren't really representative of what I can still do. And to be fair, David Hay did say, I need to be careful, you know, with allowing myself to start believing that I can be the old David Hay again, watching fights thinking I could slip this punch and throw this punch when he's watching Tyson Fury or 
Anthony Joshua, etc. But we all know that David Hay, for one, likes a pound note, <laughs> as do most people. And therefore, of course, he would like to fight the winner of Tyson Fury versus Anthony Joshua for the money, if nothing else. I mean, now David Hay is trying to turn himself into a professional poker player. He was toying with the idea of being a professional actor, but that seems to have died down. Now he's talking about being a professional, or he has been on the road to, to becoming a professional poker player, which is all to do with money, right? So yeah, maybe it's just in the back of his head thinking, I could get in there, con the public, <laughs> you know, give them some spiel and talk them into believing that this time I've got it right, my body's healed, I can do it again. <laughs> David Hay, the ultimate salesman, used to do that to the British public time and time again. He used to rinse the British public. And he got me once or twice. I'm not even going to lie <laughs> with his nonsense. Um, I was a big critic of David Hay during the height of the Klitschko era because I could see that Hay was lying about wanting to fight Vladimir ASAP. He milked that WBA strap for as long as he could and avoided the Klitschko fight before eventually going for it. You know, and he gave us John Ruiz and uh, Audley Harrison in between. <laughs> and he had that belt for something like two years without fighting Klitschko. He, he milked that belt. But yeah, I, I was onto him then, but outside of that, he did get me a couple times. I'm not going to lie. But yeah, uh, David Hay thinking about maybe coming back for that that fight, it would be an absolute scandal if either Anthony Joshua or Tyson Fury gave David Hay a shot at a title. And David Hay knows this because he did say it's extremely unlikely that either, either one of those guys would want to fight me. First of all, how would David Hay get ranked? If David Hay, or, or, or if the undisputed champion was some up-and-coming fighter who just become champion, and they wanted to give him a couple easy fights for his first defense or two, then maybe David Hay could get a shot. How old is he now? 40? He must be 40 this year, I think, David Hay. So maybe, yeah, if there was an up-and-coming heavyweight champion, they could bring David Hay out of retirement and have him fight. But right now, Anthony Joshua and Tyson Fury have both participated in elite-level contests. So guys on that level who have been fighting, you know, the cream of the crop opposition, you can't then have them take on a David Hay, who got smashed to bits by Tony Bellew twice the last time he was in the ring, the last couple times he was in the ring, and who hasn't fought in however long it is now. That's just not viable at all. David Hay would have to come back and beat somebody with it. This is one of the things that David Hay used to do, is when he would make his comeback, he didn't like to fight contenders. He just wanted to stri jump straight in with the champions. Uh, even Derek Chisora, he wasn't planning to fight Derek Chisora. Him and Derek Chisora had that brawl, and that's how the fight manifested. It manifested out of the brawl because it was such a controversial incident that it created a public demand for the fight. And that demand equals money. <laughs> David Hay eventually understood this, so that's why he went ahead and fought uh, 
Derek Chisora because he again he wasn't planning to fight that Derek Chisora that wasn't somebody who was on his radar at the time he just wanted to go straight for Vitaly Klitschko he'd already lost to Vladimir but David Hay understood that particularly in the heavyweight division it's very very risky especially for a guy who's not a naturally big guy like David Hay and a guy who trains the way he does because again David Hay is not naturally the heavyweight he has to do a lot of weightlifting to uh, add extra bulk and when you have to do all that weightlifting it takes its toll on your body you know all the weightlifting tightens your muscles and when your muscles are tight and then you're throwing explosive punches the way David Hay does where you're where you're making all these rapid movements where you're shifting a hell of a lot of weight around very very quickly when you're throwing your punches that tends to cause injuries you know, because you, your muscles are tight for more to weightlifted, then you're throwing all these big shots. Obviously, he does all his stretching and stuff like that, but irrespective of all your stretching, if you're doing all that weightlifting and you're putting on 20 pounds of muscle above what you would naturally weigh without all the weightlifting, I'm sorry, people, but that's going to make you tight. It just does, yeah? And so you're throwing these very explosive shots like David Haywood throw, and that's how you end up getting injuries. So, uh, yeah, uh, David Hay always knew this. He knew his body was vulnerable. He knew his punch resistance wasn't the best. And that's why he would avoid contenders and just try and go for the champions. Like, in his mind, if he's going to take a gamble against the heavyweight, it might as well be the guy with the belts. Outside of that, just give me cream puffs. That was his philosophy, it would seem. So, if he was to come back and face Anthony Joshua or Tyson Fury he would have to do what he wouldn't do even in his younger days, and that's actually fight some viable contenders. He didn't think Tony Bellew was a viable contender. He thought fighting Bellew would be like taking candy from a baby. You know, and uh, I think most people did, probably including myself for the first fight anyway. I was expecting David Hay to deal with Tony Bellew, um, although we didn't know what Hay had after the long hiatus he came back and fought a couple of knockover jobs and that really didn't tell us anything I felt like he didn't look himself in those fights his movement was weird and I mentioned that in the post-fight videos for the Demori fight and the Jurgi fight that his movement looked weird to me you know just look it didn't look like the old David Hay and we found out exactly why his movement was so weird <laughs> in that Tony Bellew fight so anyway just some musings on David Hay pondering a comeback. Hopefully it don't happen and he stays retired. Let me know what you guys think in the comment section below. I know with a lot of people, there's this feeling with David Hay that he didn't quite fulfill his potential, that he could have been better than he was. Personally, I disagree with that. I think David Hay is actually an overachiever, a heavyweight anyway. Yeah, I think he's an overachiever. Uh, I think that given his physical constraints, the fact that really and truly, if you take all the weightlifting away from David Hay and just have him do normal boxing training, he probably struggled to weigh 200 pounds. I'm serious. David Hay's not a big guy. He's naturally a very slim guy. You take away all that weightlifting and all that kind of business from David Hay, the, the protein shakes and what have you, 190 pound man, yeah, and when you consider that, 
the fact that he went up and 190 pound man whose punch resistance was never that great and whose stamina with all the muscle that he added to his body was never that great either because of the fact that again you're carrying all this extra muscle which your body wasn't designed for which your heart and lungs weren't designed to carry uh, naturally it's going to take its toll so that's why David Hay was a low volume fighter particularly at heavyweight but to some degree at cruiserweight as well because if you up his punch volume he's going to get too tired and he won't be able to throw the big powerful explosive shots and that's another thing as well if you're throwing like steady medium power punches you can do that for longer than throwing these fast explosive bursts where you're putting everything into the punches because that's the way David Hay used to fight you know that taxes you it taxes your energy when you fight that way yeah um, yeah David Hay hopefully as I say doesn't come back uh, I think he overachieved to be honest with you picking up a version of the heavyweight title uh, at cruiserweight that's where I think David Hay may be underachieved if he'd stuck around at that weight he could have dominated he could have given Evander Holyfield a run for his money maybe in terms of being up there as the greatest cruiserweight of all time but at heavyweight I think he did about as good as he was ever going to do to be honest with you. Obviously, there are certain matchups that David Hay could have been involved in that he wasn't involved in. But do you really think David Hay, when we look back now retrospectively, I know hindsight is always twenty twenty. but if you take Tyson Fury at his best and you put him in against David Hay, do you think Tyson Fury beats David Hay? I mean, do you think that uh, Hay beats Fury? I don't think so. Do you think Hay beat, we know Hay don't beat Klitschko. Do you think Hay beats Anthony Joshua? Some people might say yes. I have serious doubts about whether he would beat the Joshua who fought Klitschko, whether he would beat the Joshua who fought even Andy Ruiz. David Hay is not Andy Ruiz, doesn't fight the same way. Isn't as good on the inside, doesn't have Andy Ruiz's chin. I'm not sure David Hay could have ever beaten any version of Anthony Joshua, the heavyweight champion. Maybe when AJ was on the way up, if you'd put a prime Hay in against the very green AJ prior to becoming champion, maybe Hay could have beaten him. But the world champion AJ? No, when I look back retrospectively, I don't think David Hay could have beaten any version of the world champion AJ. My personal opinion. So, and could David Hay have beaten Deontay Wilder? People talk about the sparring sessions that he had with Wilder and how he rocked Wilder. David Hay has said himself on numerous occasions that he edited the footage to make himself look good or his team edited the footage to make Hay look good. And they didn't show all the moments where Wilder had a lot of success. In fact, David Hay in the past year or so said that one day he'll release the full sparring footage of him and Deontay Wilder and people can then finally find out who actually got the better of it but Hay himself said that you know Deontay Wilder gave just as good as he got and then some you know so point being if David Hay was ever going to be heavyweight champion beyond what he did who exactly would he would he have beaten maybe Wilder at some stage of Wilder's career maybe David Hay could have got him but 
I could see Wilder getting David Hay too, to be honest with you. <laughs> no, David Hay likes to sit back and set traps and all that kind of stuff. Deontay Wilder likes to sit back as well. And they've sparred, you know? So that might be David Hay's best bet in a theoretical universe if he could pick one of the heavyweight champions that has been around over the past 15 years. Um, maybe Deontay Wilder. Uh, well, well, of course, there have been others like Berman Stavern and stuff like that. But in terms of the heavyweight champions who had any kind of decent reign over the past uh, 15 years or achieved anything significant, then obviously he beat Nikolai Valoev. But outside of that, who would you have David Hay defeating? Anyway, just for musings, people, let me know what you think in the comment section below. It's happening. I'm out. Join me on Patreon. I upload a minimum of two podcasts every single week, covering a wide variety of controversial topics, as well as live stream Q&A sessions. Take a look on screen right now at some of the podcasts I've produced so far. For just $3 a month, the equivalent of about £2 a month, you get access to all my new podcasts and my entire back catalogue of past podcasts, including my popular Confessions of a Nightclub Bouncer series. You can listen on your computer or on your smartphone or tablet by downloading the Patreon app from the Google Play Store or the App Store for free. The Patreon app also allows you to download each podcast in MP3. For less than the price of a cup of coffee, you get access to dozens of hours of exclusive content. It's easy to sign up, there's no contract, and you can cancel at any time. So come and join our community of free and critical thinkers by signing up with me here on Patreon today. Iron Chin, Proch, you Reds, Nottingham Forest, yes. I can keep going all night. Joe Cow's Aggie Peaks, Proch. We'll never find out because he didn't fancy it, did we? Granite Chin, Proch, Coogan, you on drugs? Are you on drugs? You look a bit tired, mate. I don't think you're Definitely on not. I'm not on drugs. Not, I might be tired, but on, I'm not on drugs. Not on the old weed. No. Robbie, 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 I would train you if you could spell my name right. Put a T in my name. Look, Big Baby Miller, Proch is a better ass. Who's this your Who's this your lookalike? This this Ramesh. What's going on? <laughs> he's he's been at a few boxing shows before. Yeah, he likes the boxing, doesn't he? Mm. Do you think you could outbox McGregor? What Conor McGregor? He can't box, can he? Yeah, I think I outbox McGregor. Frotch the most underrated fighter in the UK. Did you see the Suns top ten British fighters of all time the other day? No, I haven't seen it. So we've got Kazagi at number one. And Anthony Joshua at number 10. And me, nowhere in between. <laughs> you, you weren't in there? No. Nigel Ben and Chris Eubank was in there. Prince Nassim Hamid. David Hay was at number three or four. And Ricky Hatton. How can you not have me in there? British fighters, all-time top ten. I mean, Jim McKenzie was in there. Yeah, it's a bit of a liberty, actually. You'd have to stick you in there, to be honest. A guy called Wally from The Sun. I've done that. Um, did you see the 11-year anniversary in The Sun the other day? No. It was on it was in yesterday or the day before Sun newspaper, double page folks. It was eleven years eleven years yesterday. Um since I beat Jermaine Taylor. So they did like an anniversary thing. 
So I've got to do one about the Kessler rematch and then another one about the Groves. So when he rings me tomorrow to do it, I'm going to stick it on him and say, you've not even got me in your top 10 British all-time. And you, you're doing interviews and giving me double-page spreads. So he's not obviously watching this, but I'll tell you what. I mean, you had Lennox Lewis in there, which is fair enough. But I think Jeff Powell from the, from the Mail had me at number three or four. And I'm not asked about getting recognition or getting bloody big ups or back slaps. And, no, but know. it's a bit of a liberty not putting you in the top ten. Not putting me in the top ten is, is bad news. And I don't know how you can have AJ in the top ten, not giving AJ a stick. He got knocked out by a little fat kid from Mexico, right? I've never been knocked out in my life. Amateur or professional. Never been done. I've been down once, twice I've been down. Got up to win, yeah? AJ got beat up by a fat Mexican, who we don't even know how good the Mexican is because he's not done anything, really. And they've got him in the number top 10. What if he had a shock defeat to Pulev? And what happens if Fury gives him a whooping? Is he still top 10 of British all-time? I mean, the guy who did the top 10, he was on bloody drugs. Not the Coogie man. He was on drugs. Can't do that. Um... Am I right or not? No, I'll, to be honest with you, it is... Uh... I'd say if you did a top 10 of... Can you put AJ in the top 10 of British all-time at the minute? You've got to wait till he finishes his career, surely. You, yeah, I do feel like you do need to finish people's careers. Um, of course you do. Because what happens if you get chinned in your next fight against Pulev? He's, he's not fought Wilder or, um, or Fury yet. So I suppose when his career is done, you can judge whether they should go in the top, top 10 or not. Exactly. I do rate AJ. I think AJ's a great fighter, but you want him to you want him to fight the top boys. You've got to see him fight, probably. I'd like to see him fight Wilder. I'd like to see him fight Dylan White again. And I definitely need to see him fight Tyson Fury. That fight's got to happen. And um, I think AJ can be all of them, whether he does or not on the night. It remains to be seen, but we need to see it, don't we? Let's be honest. Carl and Frotch had to be in there. Miller gets a lot of stick for this, this drugs, doesn't he? It's a lot of stick for failing that drug test. What do you think, Wilder AJ? What What do I think? As in, do I think it will happen? Yeah. No, who wins? I'm not calling the fights on here, Cole. That's not my job. Are you not? Mate? No. Swerving all them questions. I'm too big and too strong. I know that much. Michelle Joy Phelps, and I'm joined now with the one and only Joseph Parker. Joseph, it's great to see you on my screen right now. Uh, you've become something of like a social media uh, slash TikTok slash, uh, I don't even know, like, creating the, most, the best videos. Like, how did that come? First and foremost, how are you, and how did that come about? Oh, yeah. Um, firstly, good to see you. Um, I'm good. You know, I, I haven't, uh, since the lockdown here in New Zealand, I haven't left the house. So I'm really fortunate and blessed to have uh, a good friend who helps with the groceries and also my sister and her husband. 
and the family's good. You know, this is the first time I actually got to spend uh, quality time with my family without leaving the house. Um, but then, you know, in the beginning of the lockdown, when people started worrying and getting, um, I mean, when the lockdown started, a lot of people took it well and a lot of people didn't take it well. You know, a lot of people want to be out there and catch up with their friends and have coffee and restaurants. So we thought to ourselves, um, myself and my good friend who drops off groceries, his name is Kerry Russell. And he, I call him the magic man because he comes up with the ideas, he does all the filming and then he does all the editing. And all he does is make me look good. <laughs> so the, uh, the, the, yeah, the idea behind it was to lift spirits, uh, spread some positivity. And it was fun for us. Like, this is how I, I usually am. And I don't really show up before a fight because imagine leading to a fight the week of the fight and you start doing all the silly stuff. People won't take you seriously and think that you're mucking around. But um, this is a chance just to be myself and have fun. And uh, it's good to see the reaction. Everyone's loving it. So. I'm, I'm really enjoying it because we often don't get to see that side of a fighter, right? Yeah. We see like you guys right up before a fight, you're in a different zone, different mentality. So it's actually been quite enjoyable to see your playful side, see your uh, sarcasm, just, just overall like good personality. Um, what other ones do you have in the works? What, what do you, uh, what should we expect? At the moment, at the moment, um, Nothing. Uh, the thing is, when he comes to the grocery, um, and he or he texts me or calls me, hey, I got an idea. Do you want to do this? I said, listen, you tell me what to do, and I'll do it. And uh, so I think it's a good way of showing um how fun we know how we can have fun here at home. But also, I know there's a lot of other fighters out there who also have um tried you know there's some dancing ones and some singing ones, and they're actually coming out of their shower too and and showing their personality and showing how they they that they can have fun. Because it's a, it's a different, you know, we can't really do this, I said, leading into a fight. But this is a chance to um, just to be yourself. Yeah. Imagine doing one with, like, your next opponent. You should make it, like, a thing. I should. I mean, listen, if, we, if, we, if you and I start something, I mean, who's my next opponent? I'm not sure <laughs> yet, but listen, we could do some dance battle and then have a fight battle. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> How long does it generally take to do one of those videos? Because it looks like a lot of time goes into editing. The editing part, I'm not, he, you know, he's very fast. Like, yeah. the, the last one we did, the time war, we filmed it and he edited it straight away, like on the spot, you know, and it took him like 10, 15 wow. minutes. So he's oh very, my God. He's, he's like, I, that's why I call him the magic man, because first he the ideas, then the filming and capturing the different angles that you need and then editing it all together. Yeah. But I couldn't, that's what I couldn't have done it without everyone else, like the, the Gypsy King, you know, yeah. there's, uh, there's um, Eddie, mm -hmm. you know. And then there's also um, some New Zealanders in there. Michael Buffer, mm -hmm. he was probably, he's my favorite, you know. At the, uh, every time I text him, he's always keen to have fun and enjoy himself and, you know, sp spread positive vibes. So he, he, he's the best. Yeah, that was, that's really cool. I mean, I, when I first saw it, I was like, oh, my God, that's amazing. I think it was the first one I saw was Greece. Was that the first one you did? The first one I did was The Love Actually. Um, you know, just okay, the dancing. I haven't like the, seen that one yet. That I, I, the first one I saw was Greece, and I've seen everyone after that. Okay, there's, I think, Love Actually. Then there's one, uh, Buttercup, Build Me Up Buttercup, where Fury's in it as well, yeah, yeah. Michael Buffer. And then uh, the, the, the one with my neighbor, you know, showing that we can still be, um, you know, help each other out from a distance. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, yeah, then all the other ones that you've seen. Well, obviously, we're in some... Uh, pretty challenging times at the moment. How are you sort of keeping yourself, not just physically busy, obviously we know you're working on the videos, but also mentally busy. 
uh, to sort yeah. of keep from breaking down because it's so easy to like, I feel like that's the easy route right now is to kind of break down mentally because there's just really no saying in when this is going to change. I think, uh, like you said, no one can help. Like no one can put a time when this is going to finish. Uh, so the, the way that I keep mentally and physically in shape, obviously I train every day, um, but that with the training every day, that helps keep me uh, mentally sane as well. You know, so um, you know, I'm good. I got I got three kids, three beautiful daughters. I got my my missus, but she gives me time, like three hours a day, just to do whatever I need to do in the gym, mm -hmm. uh, running on the bike, weight, so whatever it is. Gym. I I have a little. I have a good setup here that I I think. Oh, uh, good. Really yeah. Well. yeah. That's good. Yeah, like a lot of people don't like even have any any ability to work out. So that's why I was wondering, like, if you had some other avenue. Yeah. Yeah. Over the years, I've, you know, I've got a treadmill and a bike and kettlebells and slamming balls and weights and chin up bar. So I think I have no excuse. And I've got a big mirror to do shadow boxing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have I don't have the punchy bag or someone to hold pads, but I have a big mirror to see. You know. Yeah. Uh, right is now, like, good is it not good? <laughs> right now, with uh, parents having their children home twenty four seven, it seems like. They're kind of driving them up the walls. How are you handling having your girls at home all day? You in the midst? Oh, like, how are you? How are you doing it? No, we're good. I'm lucky. My kids haven't. <laughs> uh, they're they're not at school, so I, I'm very young. Like three years old, one years old, and eleven months. Oh, okay. So. Oh, oh my God! You got a, a three little ones. Three little ones, yeah. Three. Oh, okay. Just, you know, so the three year old and the one year old running around pretty crazy and then the 11 month is um you know she's just you know having to hold her here and put her here yeah. wow well, okay well then i take that the funny the funny thing about that last clip the time warp was uh we put them to bed early i think uh for us eight eight o'clock or eight thirty was quite early for us and then we came out to do the filming at night time but then they all slowly woke up one by one and then we had to bring them to the sitting room and they were watching us in the backyard doing all they must have been thinking oh, look at our look at our parents <laughs> I know. I wonder what they were thinking. They're like, why are they dancing like that? <laughs> my time dancing. That's also fun, though. That's got to be fun for them to see you guys, you know, doing that together. Um, yeah. If we, if we can go right into boxing, I know there's been some some talks about Junior Fa pricing himself out. Uh, you yeah. also got someone mm -hmm. else, uh, Frank Sanchez, who the Cuban who is yeah, yeah, yeah. interested in fighting you as well. Tell me a bit about what the process has been like with Junior Fa. And um, I know that I was reading that he was asking for significantly more than what you would have been paid for to, to take the fight. Is that correct? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the negotiations were in, um, they were negotiating, or they were talking about having a fight. First, the, uh, you know, my contract with Matchroom as promoters, and then David Higgins, part of my management team, and then, uh, there's Kevin. So I think everyone has to um, agree that it was a good fight, firstly. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think my stand, where I stand is I just tell the team, hey, give me the fight that's going to get me closer to fighting for a world title. So all I'm doing and is training hard and keeping in shape. But I sort of rely on the team to do their job to get me the best fight or the right fight at the right time. Um, so so those, that fight was, they were talking about numbers and talking about how it's going to happen. They were asking for a lot of money. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, a lot more than what I was willing to fight for. So, um, and then the Sanchez, I see he's been calling me out. So if he wants to, he could, you know, if it's the right fight and our team won it, I'll take it. I mean, he was basically saying it was no disrespect, but like he was 
he feels like he would win every single round against you. Would you like to respond? That's what I mean. Everyone, no, listen, and that, that's his opinion. That's good. You know, that's uh, it shows his confidence. Yeah. And he's been doing quite good. He's been doing pretty well. You know, uh, I've seen some of his fights. And he's a, he's a, he's a good fighter. Uh-huh. Um, you know, so if he, you know, if he really thinks he's, he can win every round, then, you know, let's do it. <laughs> if that's the right fight, and if, if that's the fight that the team wants, then let's do it. Um, I found it interesting. Dillian White recently was uh, mentioning you. Did, you. did you read about what he said about you? Yeah, he bullied me and smashed me around. And yeah, c- can I read was... to you? Can I read to you? Because I want to know what your thoughts are on this. I want to know what you think of his quotes. Uh, obviously, yeah, yeah. you guys have fought. You guys put on a good fight against each other. Um, he said, reading strictly from what Sky Sports quoted him saying, um, he said that Parker would be beaten up again um, and that he's wanting you to fight somebody credible instead of prancing around his kitchen. He said, <laughs> instead of prancing around his kitchen, he should go and fight someone credible like Derek Chisora or Oscar Rivas. I tried to fight Joseph Parker before we even fought when he was a champion and he didn't want to fight me, but he knows that fighting me now, I'll, he'll get a big payday. I fight Joseph Parker again, I will knock him out. I went into the fight with a broken hand and a broken rib and I still destroyed him. Joseph Parker has had a lot of good opportunities and he's wasted them, simple as that. He had an opportunity to beat Anthony Joshua. He fought like a coward in the fight. He had an opportunity to beat me, he done all right. But he talks a lot of crap, and I'm sick of these heavyweights. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot. That's I never realized there was still like it feels like there's like there's some sort of animosity there on his end yeah. towards you, and I'm like I didn't realize that there was any. I didn't think so. I mean, the 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 thing he's getting angry about is that me calling him out, and I'm calling him out because I want to fight him. And isn't that a sign of respect that you want to fight someone? You know, he's beating me. Obviously, he's better on that day. I believe I can beat him, and I'm. That's respect calling him out because I know that if we got into, you know, if we had the rematch, it'll be a great fight, mm-hmm. and a lot of people want to watch it again because the first fight was very um, entertaining. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I'm not sure if he's angry or if he's trying to be funny, or, <clears throat> but you know, you just gotta, you know, Dillian is always gonna be Dillian. Mm-hmm. It's such a respectful response. <laughs> no, I, I don't. No, I can't. I mean. I'm not really good at trash talking anyways. And if I tried, I wouldn't, I wouldn't sound good. So it wasn't, you know, I don't, I don't know. I want to beat him up. Well, I don't you know, what do I say? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so are you, are you looking, is, is that like the fight you would want to make the most next? What is the fight you want like really badly next? And realistically? Uh, realistically, uh, you know, I, I wanted the Chisora fight. You know, I had that fight li- lined up and I got sick and I wanted to postpone it, but he went on and fought someone else. And then, I've been trying to fight him, and then you know, obviously he made the fight with Usyk, and they were going to fight. So I've been calling out Dylan ever since, you know. And uh, I want to fight someone in the top five or ten in the world, right. but you know, it, it's quite hard to get a deal done with. You know, either they see me as a threat, or they want too much money, or they want to chase being world champion. So a lot of things are, you know, stopping these well myself from being involved with big fights. Mm-hmm. If you got the rematch with AJ. How do you feel, or what difference do you feel that you would make this time around? Uh, I'll be more confident in myself, uh, and I'll be more, you know, I, I'll, I'll know what to do better in the ring. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and 
you know, back then when I was fighting him and fighting, you know, Dylan White, I had no excuses, right? I said that they won on the night, but I went into camp overweight. You know, I went into camp, the Joshua camp, 123 kgs, and I had to cut down to 107. So I'm spending the whole camp losing weight and getting in shape instead of actually focusing on skills, techniques, combinations. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's what I've uh, been able to change uh, since last year, you know, mat- maturity, um, keeping in shape while at home and staying ready and staying prepared. Would you say a part of it too, um, had maybe there was something or maybe part of it could have been that it was a bit intimidating because, you know, not a lot of people are used to fighting in front of 60, 70, 80,000 people. And basically that's exactly what you did. You, you basically got thrown into uh, the lion's den in that aspect. Was that intimidating for you? Do you feel like that maybe played a factor in your performance? No, uh, I don't think the the crowd did, or, or how big the um you know the people that were, I don't think they played. I think the uh, the game plan was I, I think I was focusing more on defense and trying not to get hit instead of doing more hitting. Mm-hmm. And I guess you know with boxing, the only way to win is to to hit your opponent as much as you can or as hard as you can. And I guess I didn't do that that night. Mm-hmm. What would you say is? Would you say that you have one, one particular person that you would want to avenge your loss the most against? Would that, was it safe to say that'd be AJ? Uh, it'll, be, uh, it'll be AJ for a different reason because he's still the champ and he's unified champ. And you know, to fight him and beat him, it'll be good to be unified champion of the world. But the most, the person I want to avenge the loss the most is Dylan White because. <laughs> You know, I, I, yeah, because it was a good fight, and like I said, he won fair and square on that night. But I believe that I can beat him. Hey, Fi fans, it's Michelle Joy Phelps. If you haven't already subscribed to my YouTube channel, make sure you go ahead and do so by clicking this icon right here and hit the bell button so you can get notified every time we upload a new video. And we also have a free app available on iTunes and Google Play. So make sure you go and download that. Bye, Fi fans. Hi there, I'm Danny Flexen. Welcome to the latest edition of Seconds Out Reflections. I'm not going to say uh, we're here every Monday at 4.30 to talk about the boxing action of the weekend just gone. I think it's time to retire that catchphrase, at least for the time being. Um, we haven't had any boxing for such a long time now. There's little point um, rehashing a tagline that isn't really relevant until lockdown is lifted and boxing comes back, either behind closed doors or in front of crowds. Um, but we are here to reflect on all things boxing related and maybe that will be a better tagline going forward just in case anything like this ever happens again. Um, so I want to talk this week about um, the process of interviewing fighters during lockdown and, and boxing personalities generally, not just fighters. And a real disparity that I've noticed while I've been doing this for the past two to three weeks in boxers who are overly keen um, to keep their name out there at the moment, and others who are pretty evasive. Now, I'm not going to name names, so if you're looking for me to dish the dirt, you should probably stop watching now, and I completely understand. But I just want to give kind of a rough idea of how things are going. And first thing I would say is that during this lockdown period, it's an absolutely huge, guilt-edged opportunity for boxers, particularly ones who wouldn't normally get the attention, to raise their profiles. Now, put it this way, Boxer A is uh, 5-0, and 0, 
mainly beaten journeyman, didn't have a glittering amateur career and is signed with a mid-level or small hall promoter. Um, so his management team calls us up or calls me up and says, look, we want you to interview Boxer A. Um, he's really keen to do it. We want you to come to the gym in London, do the interview. Now, for us, that means taking time out of the day. It means spending money on the travel, going to the guy's gym, all of this for an interview that best win in the world. And, you know, I used to work for Fox News. I'm a hardcore fan. I love the small halls. You know it's not going to get more than 500 views. Even if you promote it, he's got a great backstory, whatever, it's probably not going to do that well. So nine times out of ten, an invitation like that would be turned down. Um, it's just a bit of reality of it. And it's not just for us, it would be for most boxing uh, YouTube outlets. Now flip it a little bit and say we're in the middle of lockdown. The same guy wants to be interviewed. We can do it via Skype, Zoom, Facebook video, whatever. No travel costs, no real time costs apart from the 10 minutes it takes to actually conduct the interview. And more importantly, while all this is going on, Viewers are starved of boxing content because there's no live fights and there's no press conferences, uh, weigh-ins and so on. You're more likely to get a lot of views for someone with a relatively low profile than you were previously. Um, you can also, as we always do, or we, I don't want to say always because then I have to stick to it, but as we often do with the prospects, ask them to talk about their social media handles at the end of the video so people can then follow them. So it's a huge opportunity at very little cost to us or to the boxer right now to increase their profile. Whereas, you know, they're getting opportunities that they wouldn't have had previously. We're more keen to work with them for obvious reasons. And going forward, if that increases their profile and they get bigger, then next time we're asked to go and visit them in the gym, we're more likely to do it. Everyone wins. And I've got to say, the vast majority of boxers during this lockdown have seen the, the kind of sense in that statement. And that I've had uh, boxers and managers both um, emailing, phoning me, asking me to do stuff with their guys, which is great. You know, we're... we're we need content at the moment. It's not just viewers that start the content. Channel owners and content directors like me need to find content to fill the gap. And yeah, we'd all love to do an exclusive with Tyson Fury or Anthony Joshua every day of the week, but it's not going to happen. It wouldn't happen in non-lockdown times. It's certainly not going to happen now. So we're keen to fill our schedules with good content, not necessarily content that's going to get thousands and thousands of views every time. Some will, some won't. But content that people are going to be interested in and maybe as we've got the time to do it now and the opportunity, introducing people that you should know about and maybe don't. So yeah, we've had people call, we've had people email and wanting to be a part of it. People that will bend over backwards as well, they'll do it any time you want. They'll download platforms like Skype and Zoom if they haven't already got them. They'll just basically, you know, not do whatever you want and we're not particularly demanding anyway, but they will, they will work hard around you to get their name out there because they realize it benefits them. What I've found though, with a select number of people, and it's not always the really high profile guys who can take or leave the media because they've already made their name. I've found this at all levels, but only a, a small amount of fighters and, and industry people just don't really seem that bothered. Either they don't see the opportunity or they see it and they don't want to take advantage of it. It's frustrating for us. We can still fill the content gaps because there's enough people that are desperate to get their name out there. But on the flip side, I, I find it hard to empathize you're never going to get another opportunity like this with a captive audience who can't go out of their homes, literally, you know, captive, <laughs> and they can't leave. They're going to be watching YouTube, um, maybe not so much boxing because there's no live events to drive them to the boxing sector. But if you get the right person with the right headline, they're going to come over and watch it. They've got nothing else to do. Probably already watched everything on Netflix. I know I've watched most things that I want to watch already. 
Um, and I'm watching loads of um, boxing video content. I'm not going to name check other channels because I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. But I've been watching content on a variety of channels apart from our own as well. So it's a huge opportunity. And you've got boxers saying, mm, well, can we do it next week? Or can we only do it in the evenings? Or can we do it at a weekend? You're not working. Right? The vast majority of you are not working. You're either full-time pros or the job you've got has been laid off temporarily while the lockdown's going on. Why have we got to wait till the weekend or an evening to interview you when we're still working full-time during the days? Makes no sense at all. Or, yeah, I could do it. I'm not really sure. What do you want to talk about? It's all this prevaricating. I know it sounds a bit kind of arrogant on my part to say, you know, how dare they ask questions in advance. And fair enough, but... I just think at this point, there's no boxing on TV, except for kind of old reruns and stuff. It's important to keep momentum of the sport going, and momentum particular boxers going, especially if you haven't had a fight this year. If you're a boxer and your last fight was kind of the end of last year or even earlier, and you're not going to fight again, you're going to have like a year out of the ring. Surely it's good to have people, you have your name still on people's lips, and to have your, your persona or your next fight or whatever you're doing still in people's minds. For prospects, it might be their first opportunity. For guys at the mid-level or about to challenge for titles, I think it's even more important that people don't just forget about them while all this is going on. Keep your name going. Build your social media followings while there's a gap. You know, come back stronger than you were before with a bigger kind of digital footprint. I don't see the harm in that. And I, I certainly don't see why some um, people are veering away from being interviewed. And I, I'm not just complaining on our part. I think the guys, and again, I'm not going to name them, but some of the guys that I'm chasing... I haven't seen pop up on other channels either, so I'm assuming it's kind of a blanket attitude towards the, the process, which is fine. Everyone's got individual choice. I just I find it hard to fathom. But going back to a more positive original point, the vast majority of people have really embraced this and have used it as an opportunity, A, to keep training um, at home and getting bags and putting bags up and doing their runs and all that sort of stuff. Some of them even sharing their training with um, online audiences to inspire others, which is even better. But also, in terms of raising their profiles, the people that have come to me and asked to be interviewed, I'm beyond honoured by that because it's great. You, you want them to make your job easier. It's perfect. And they see the benefit is going to themselves as well. So fair play. And it's also reassured me that boxing, out of all the major sports, is by far the most accessible. You wouldn't get this in football. You wouldn't get this in a lot of other sports. But boxers want to be out there. They want to relate to their fans. And they can do it directly on social media, which a lot of them are. And they can also do it through interviews where they get asked slightly different questions than the fans might ask. It benefits everyone and it's why I'm proud to be a part of this sport rather than others. And it's also the only one that would take me. Really appreciate the time. Want to read your comments below. Let me know what you think. Um, I'll be back next week, Monday, 4.30pm and for expectations this Thursday, 4.30pm. See you all soon. Cheers. <laughs>